Thank you for tuning in to the Life After GDPR podcast, where we discuss digital marketing in a post-GDPR world. Today's podcast is a special episode, which was recorded at the Digital Analytics Summit on the 13th of October, 2022. It was a great event. We recorded a couple podcasts with some speakers before the event for promotional purposes, and we recorded two discussion sessions as a audio-only podcast format on the summit. We also opened it up for questions, which didn't really happen a lot. So that's a learning point for uh, for next time. But it was a lot of fun to do. This podcast is audio-only, except for this intro, perhaps. You will hear that it was recorded live. There's some background noise. Uh, we tried to clean it up a bit, but this is as good as it gets. So hopefully that's good enough. This first roundtable session was with Emma Gordon and Romar van der Leij, and we discussed Google Analytics 4 in the EU. Yes, no, maybe. That was the premise of the discussion. I think we went into some pretty interesting topics and we explored some avenues on what is personal data and why you can or cannot uh, use it and how we have to change as an industry to uh, to support that. One disclaimer, although Romar tec technically is a legal specialist, nothing that is said on this podcast is uh, legal advice. Take that for what it is and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to a podcast slash presentation. Yeah, so this is a New unique format. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it pans out. If you don't catch everything afterwards, you can listen to the podcast. My name is Rick. I'm the host of Life After GDPR. We released a couple episodes before this event with some of the speakers, and today we're doing a couple of podcasts with speakers from the event about privacy, GDPR, all the fun topics. I'm joined in this session by Emma Gordon and by Romar. You've both already had sessions, right? Yeah. How did that go, Emma? It was my first time speaking post-corona. And I, I, was pretty, I was pretty happy with it. I had to rush the end, so I got the timing a bit off. But uh, I can work on that. We can dive into more details and questions uh, in yeah. the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, for me, it went well as well. It was my first time presenting in English. Mm. So that was a first, but I had fun. It went well. I was there. It, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Maybe can you both give a short introduction of who you are? and what you do, and then we can dive into the details. Sure thing. Um, I'm Emma Gordon. I'm a digital, technical, and analytical lead, working for a, as lead in the product analytics for a software company, Hotjar. I'm Irish. I've been living in Amsterdam for a couple of years now. I also tend to mumble, but I'm hoping that this big microphone fixes that problem. <laughs> Instantly. <laughs> yeah, and I had a talk today. I was talking about getting attribution to digital analytics teams and reporting on ROI and how that becomes more increasingly more important in order to get visibility on the value that data teams are driving to the business. I'm Roma van Leij and I'm a legal counsel at DDMA. So the organization that is behind the organization of the event we are at today. We have a pretty special position in the, as a legal counsel because we are pretty much in between practical side, so the marketing side, the analytical side, and the laws and regulations side, which gives us the special position because we also have technical knowledge, but also a lot of knowledge of the law, which makes us 
yeah, a bit more practical to work with maybe as a legal counsel, a bit less star. And we do that in all kinds of ways because DDMA is a branch association. We organize events, legal events as well, but we also write documents for our members, legal help desk, a very broad service side. And your presentation today was actually a nice prelude to what we're going to talk about yeah. uh, in this podcast. Who witnessed his presentation before? Okay. No, you're seeing like 100 hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no video, but you, so you can lie. Yeah, because yeah, you, you talked about the impact of the GDPR, right? Or of privacy yeah, regulation. Well, yeah, I talked about like the legal basics you need to know when processing data for analytical purposes, which is very complicated because I could only, I had the 20 minutes and I needed to cover the whole GDPR in 20 minutes. And I also wanted to give a legal update about everything that's going on right now with Google Analytics, especially then the, the, the broader view on data transfers to the, to the United States, which is a really hot topic right now. And even people are talking about a ban on Google Analytics. So that's yeah. what I tried to discuss. Yeah. So I think in this podcast, we can dive a bit deeper on specifically the Google Analytics part. Google Analytics 4 in the EU. Yes, no, maybe. That's the, that's the title we, uh, we ended up with. And I think it's very relevant for a lot of people right now in digital analytics. A lot of people have been using Google Analytics mainly because it was a free tool, so the adoption was very high and got used to it. And now we have to deal with these potential issues. And it's not very clear, like you already highlighted in your presentation, like it would be nice if we got a clear yes or no. Yeah. It seems to be a maybe, right, uh, from the regulation point yeah, of view. Maybe it isn't a maybe. It's just we don't know because it's a very complicated and more broader problem than just Google Analytics. It's, it's a problem for all tools you use that transfer data to the United States. And that's why we can't really say if it's a yes or a no. As I mentioned in my presentation, it's a little bit that you have to see what's the compliance expectation for that day. So every day can be a different day. And the one day we, we might be saying, okay, there's a new privacy shield coming. We can use Google Analytics compliantly right now. But two days later, uh, the, the Court of Justice could say something else. It's probably going to be a, a, bit, a little bit of longer time before we uh, come in that situation. But yeah, it's a, bit, a little bit fluctuant, I guess. So it's not a yes, it's not a no, but it's also not a maybe. <laughs> So anybody that hoped to get an answer, you're out of luck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky question and it comes down to the, the same way that Google Analytics is kind of disseminating how, we how you approach implementing privacy. It comes down to the responsibility of the user to ensure that they are implementing in a compliant manner. But then it's also the data is quite anonymized but the focus isn't on that at the moment. So it's not really a hot topic yet. Yeah. Yeah, because the focus is all on Google Analytics and Google Analytics has got the brunt of this. There was this moment where, when, after the announcement of the movement to GA4, where Google Analytics was at a little bit of a, a vulnerable moment, which was interesting because Google Analytics is so ubiquitous to yeah. analytics. It's been, it's been, it was the precursor to the digital analytics industry when it made that free product coming out of Urchin into classical analytics, then the universal analytics. And it opened up and was a big key driver in the digital analytics industry. Even the question, yes, no, or maybe on Google Analytics, it's kind of incredible that this is coming up as a, a topic from coming up as a vulnerable position for Google Analytics to be in. And there was 
a moment there where Adobe and other companies were kind of marketing on that moment where people were stepping back and looking at their stack and thinking, do we need to go forward with GA4? And that's, an, that's a question that hasn't ever been raised because if you do marketing or if you do digital analytics, you, you have GA, you have Google Analytics. So a lot of that was Adobe was like directly marketing to this vulnerability and push the core laws that are being processed and argued also apply to these tools. Yeah. Right now, the focus is on Google Analytics, but it's coming up for other tools as well. I don't think anyone is going to escape this spotlight. The question is if uh, in the near future, also other tools will be receiving complaints about the fact that they are transferring data to the US. And if DPAs are investigating that, uh, taking decisions on that, then we would be knowing more. But until that, nobody really knows if uh, Hotjar or any other marketing tool used or analytical tool used that sends data to the US is compliant or not. Yeah. Because it's always, DPAs can only, so data protection authorities can only take decisions on specific circumstances. They can only assess whether the processing of personal data and those circumstances are in line with the GDPR or not. So that's yeah. what makes it difficult to say yes, no, or maybe, because it's not, a, it's not a, like a very overviewing decision that yeah. DPA makes. So, so we'll end up with it depends. Yeah, mm. always. <laughs> yeah. I think that we raise a couple of important points. So one is the vulnerability of, of Google. I was also like the timing of introducing GA4, which in my opinion was not really ready for you know, going out of beta at that moment, maybe arguably today, even not. And then getting the, these, yeah, these privacy issues at the same time that really, like you said, it was so ubiquitous that it's, it's, it's almost strange to think like, will, will many people now switch to BWIC, Matomo, whatever kind of, you know, other solution, but they really opened it up for that. The fact that I feel, I feel like Google is being picked on to set an example, which probably makes sense. Like if you're going to do it, might as well go for Google, right? right? So, so that's probably the logic of, of none of your business as well. Like, yeah. like file complaints against Facebook and Google. And then if it applies to them, probably it should apply to others. But like you said, it's all on a case by case basis, yeah. which makes it really hard for us practitioners who are, you know, not interested in legal battles. We want to know like if what, what we are doing is allowed or not and how we should adapt. Maybe better say you just want to do stuff. Yeah. And, and even not be thinking about if it's legally possible, but just, and we discussed it before the podcast, if it's more an ethical question exactly. in, internally in your organization, it, do you think we can do this or not? And that's just a legal question. I think like with server side as well, and on these other technologies, the responsibility for enacting privacy has decentralized back to the implementers of Google Analytics. So because it's happening server-side, which is not quite a black box, but you can do a lot of enrichment in the data as it's sent server-side that puts it outside the client's view. It becomes your responsibility to ensure that you are compliant in that. And then this kind of decentralizes the responsibility because I think everyone's kind of hoping for a kind of a structured guidance that they can just adhere to, but it's not. It's coming down to individual implementations. Yeah. And then it becomes a question that you have to figure out yourself. First of all, we have to determine what is personal data? What is privacy? And I know you had a, a guest on the podcast, I can't recall, who made a really good 
observation of what personal data is, of, what, of privacy. Yeah, yeah Hannah's yeah. cool from uh, Trekken, yeah. Yeah, about uh, opening and closing doors yeah. in the future. But that, that kind of interpretation of that is falling back to the broader public and users, us, to kind of get a, get a grip on. It's not solidified. It's kind of, it's, it's quite a liquid definition. We have to kind of think about the ethics of that and about what we're doing. If we were to look at the ethics of data, I'm, kind of open, I'm going to open this topic a little bit. It's a big topic, right? So if you're, and there's a lot of conversations on it. If you're writing AI algorithms, you're going to have a data ethics. You should have a data ethics mindset and you should be looking into topics like Race Against Technology by Ruha Benjamin and this kind of reading, which kind of opens up how we compound biases into AI. That's kind of data ethics very heavily and in your forefront of your mind. But there's also the data ethics that we have as, mar as, like, as marketeers and digital analysts that we don't think that we are in control of, but we are. So we compound biases with the segments we create. We compound biases with the way we advertise, the way we market. And then also about how we control, use, and then there's the bigger issues of controlling how we use data, how we control it, and also how if, if we're selling it, sending it to third parties, it's kind of a smaller version of the data ethics, but something that we are responsible for and something we're responsible for understanding, knowing, acknowledging, and bringing into our workflows. And now it's with server-side, it's become something that we, we are now in control of. From a legal perspective, to add is that at DDMA, we often say things that are an ethical dis discussion right now will probably become laws and regulations in yeah. four or five years. So we're seeing that right now with the AI regulation. A lot of things going on in, in Holland and the Netherlands, we had with our uh, tax office uh, some problems uh, with AI systems. So there's a lot of attention right now. And earlier this year, the uh, European Commission did a proposal for an AI act for the whole European area based on the risk for individuals that an AI system can have. And depending on that risk, the higher the risk, the more rules and re regulations apply and the lower the, the risk. But that's from an ethical perspective, always, if, if there's an ethical discussion right now, you probably can say for sure that in four or five years, there will be a law or regulation. Mm -hmm. yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a normal flow. Let's zoom, zoom in on that a little bit because, so for the people in the room right now, who, is, who works in a marketing organization where there is more than a hundred people that work on digital marketing, like within your company? More than 50? More than 10 and less than 10. <laughs> so, but, so the, the, the majority, although this is not a really great sample size, right? But the majority is like, let's say between one and, and 25. How reasonable is it? Like these, these things, like thinking about data ethics, right? So we're coming from a world where we had a, an analytics tool that helped us optimize our digital marketing campaigns and spend and, and, uh, return on investment and this is it feels for a lot of companies feels like it feels like an added job on top of it yeah right so it feels like things are being taken away and we have to Just do like more. a setback yeah, yeah exactly so what what how do you see like the like i could i could argue for for a large bank or a large a large corporation okay they just have to employ him i'm looking at you <laughs> Uh, they, they have to employ people for that, right? They have, to, they, have, yeah. they have the budget for it, they have to look into it. But for small, medium-sized businesses, how do you see this playing out? 
Yeah, it's a bit a bit difficult for me to say because I'm not really involved in shaping teams and and shaping organizations in their in their organization organizational structures uh, with the persons they attract and they employ. But I think there should be at least more emphasis on the fact that it's shifting. We, we see the shift. We see more people, more marketing qualified people get also the added job as privacy officer or professional, privacy professional, privacy champion. I think we all know the, uh, the terms for that. And I think that's an important shift, but we also need to take a look if it's okay if we just gave that task to one person, because maybe it's not effective enough to just add someone, with, uh, give someone another task, but maybe you should take a look at, should I just add another person to the team, qualified with enough expertise on this subject, and then also keeping in mind the ethical issues. Yeah. Can you load up that question for me again? <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was thinking about it and then I drifted off. <laughs> yeah, so, so the issue I could see for a lot of small, medium-sized businesses, they have been using analytics to perform marketing, yeah. return on investment, and now they basically, they have to add an FTE. You know, let's call it what it is. They have to add an FTE that is full on on privacy just to be able to use that data. That's, I think that's going to be the, the, the end result of all this. Like every company that wants to use data will have to have an FTE dedicated to that because otherwise you're, you're exposed to too much risk. I don't know. Is there, is, is there something, I don't know if there's, that's a bad thing in any way. I think that it's in taking this as a, a responsibility that we have to be aware of and taking care of in how we process our workflows is important. I think with, with it, though, is there's this enormous gray area emerging right now, and it's, it's, it's quite conf- it, can be quite, it can be quite confusing. It's shifting, the goalposts are moving. They will have to have that FT in order to keep on top of it and to ensure that compliancy. I don't know if we can say that it's necessarily like a, a, a drag or, or a pull down on the budget or the way we have to shape teams if we have to open this new role. It's just part of the dissemination of data teams from being like in 2012, one or two web analysts to now being these tribes, which are, according to the Spotify model, uh, <laughs> which are the data engineering, growth analytics, product analytics, and data privacy and compliance. It's just part of the whole yeah. of, of producing a data product. I think, I think I agree. I think it's what it's, this is the hard sell. Like, so I consult small, medium-sized businesses and this is basically the hard sell. Like people are losing, like they feel like they're losing out, right? right. Because so what they had, they can still have it, but then they're basically exposed to risk or they have to minimize, right? So they have to eliminate all personal data and accept that they can do less with it or they have to get this FTE. But this is, I think, where we've been a little bit spoiled. Yeah, um, definitely. Because... Because of Google Analytics, quite well-rounded report interface was free. Yeah. And with that kind of came a little bit, it kind of got hard to sell the value of data because it was, we used to having it as such a low budget. It kind of distorted the expectations yeah. that you should have, actually. Yeah. And now if, to get the value, and that's what I was kind of talking earlier about processing ROI and pushing it to VP and director level, proactively is because the budget requirement for getting that value has now increased. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's you're deriving less value from it. It doesn't mean that it's still not driving value and revenue to your business. You just have to 
cut a little bit out of the pie. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that could result in deciding that in this new reality, the ROI is negative and maybe you shouldn't do it, right? That's also a possible outcome. It's a possible outcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a possible outcome. Or you have, you have a data set that you have tried to use the settings in GA4 to make it as compliant as possible, obfuscate the IP addresses, remove them completely, sorry. <laughs> um, and then just have a more generalized data set for more generalized trends. And, yeah. and if that's acceptable to drive your business, then that's, yeah. that's what you do. I want to also open it up for questions. We have a microphone on a chair here if anybody wants to jump in with a question about, uh, about GA4. Uh, meanwhile, we can uh, we can just keep it going. But if you if you want to ask a question, grab, feel free. Free, to grab a free the shot to be in the podcast. Remember That's also so. Yeah. No no uh, no company promotion. No. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for you from the DDMA's point of view, like you try to help organizations navigate through this, mm -hmm. right? I, mm -hmm. I, I'm I know it's a hot topic. The website is full of of articles yeah, about yeah. this. What do you feel is the main challenge for companies that are now that are currently using Google Analytics and what are the questions that you, you get? The main challenge is understanding what's happening and get a grip on what's actually the, the, the problem going on. And, and then in context, and then you have to place in context how important is it that we do something with this. I see you nodding, but I hope you can understand what yeah. I mean. So yeah. there are a lot of companies that know, okay, there's something going on with Google Analytics, there's something going on with data transfers. But what is going on? So in, in detail, and uh, what do we need to do with it? Do we need to take action? Do we need to stop using Google Analytics? And what are the most important steps we need to take right now? So the problem is, as you said before, you would like a guideline. So here are six steps you need to do, and then you're fine. It's not that easy. At this moment, it's just like a balance of risks inside your own organization. So knowing that at this moment in time, transferring data to the United States isn't compliant, according to Schrems 2 and everything that happened in that case. Personal data, right? Personal data, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing that there is a risk that a DPA receives a complaint of you using any tool, not just Google Analytics, any tool transferring th that personal data. Is it a bit, big risk for you? Is it a big uh, problem for your image if it comes out that you transfer the data? So, and that's what I meant with compliance of the day. You just have to take a look, okay, wh what's the status right now? What are our balance of our risks? And if we think, okay, it's going to cost us a lot of money if we stop using Google Analytics, yeah, maybe you should keep using it, knowing that it's not 100% compliant. Um, but the other way around, if you see that there are no big risks, uh, then you maybe should stop using Google Analytics and maybe look for an alternative. I just, in my, in my presentation, also talked about it. There are a lot of companies using Universal Analytics and probably now Google Analytics that maybe use 10, 15% of the features that are in there because it's, it's free, it's easy to use, it's simple, maybe Google Analytics 4, a little bit less, but those companies could probably use a tool that uses and processes less data. So that yeah. would be a better fit. And then maybe also just inside the EU. So it's really, it, it, it differs per organization. I feel like for a lot of organizations, the going from this place of not knowing and being scared to assessing value and risk. You have these two axes, right? The one is how big is the risk? And I think GDPR could be up to 4% of 
revenue yeah. over the yeah, fine. Yeah, depending on the, on, the, on the breach of the GDPR, yeah. the violation, it can be 4%. Or right, so you could create a scale based upon that, take some sort of monetary value. Yeah. And then on the value side, you have to actually, like the question that all analysts w- want to tell their boss is how valuable is analytics to us, which is yeah. always a really hard question to, to really answer. But that's the other one you need to, yeah. need to figure out. I think a lot of companies are, when they're making that, if they're making a risk assessment like that, I think there's a lot of fuzzy areas. So it's kind of a case of, oh, we think we got everything and we think we covered everything. And then, oh, you missed yeah. this part and now you're at risk for this huge fine. I guess in that kind of that fuzziness and that liquidity, you kind of have a bit of a, a question. And that is, what is the legal definition of privacy and what is the legal definition of personal data at this time? Yeah, well, <laughs> you're not cutting into a very... Uh, <laughs> so I'm digressing a bit, but I'm super yeah. interested in this because this is at the core of everything, right? Because that's where the fuzziness comes in. That's where, like, oh, did we cover everything? Yeah. Are we yeah. done? Well, to start with, and not to get too deep into the legal uh, technical uh, issue, but the fundamental right, the EU fundamental right is laid down, for privacy is laid down in the, in the charter mm-hmm. of the EU. It is a right to have privacy and uh, the protection of your personal data and stuff like that. But it can also be limited. And that's what we're doing every day, processing data. You can use some personal data for some purposes because you can limit the fundamental right of privacy. The question, what is privacy and what is personal data, is always, you always need to place it in a context. So I just, I think yesterday I, I spoke to someone about the expectation you have when talking about privacy. So. Right now, we just saw somebody shoot some photos of us because we're in this setting, it's fine. In this context, our privacy expectation is that people can take pictures of us, people can listen to us, record our voice. But if I would do the same thing tomorrow at your house, it would be a different expectation because your expectation is not that somebody records your voice, takes pictures of you. In the, in the context of personal data, the GDPR actually, in my opinion, has a little bit more strict interpretation of personal data than is being used right now by data protection authorities and maybe even the European Court of Justice because Interesting. personal data is always depending on the context. If you're using a photo, you made, you made a photo of someone and it, police uses it, it's probably personal data because they use it to identify you. But if I use it for a different purpose, can't think of one right now, but a different purpose that is not used to identify someone, it's probably not personal data, it's just a photo. But all the DPAs and the European Court of Justice right now are saying, yeah, but personal data in the GDPR needs to be interpreted on a broad way that any, in theory, possible way to single out an individual makes something personal data. So that means that in the Schrems case with Google Analytics and everything is going on, is that the DPAs say, yeah, because Google has a lot of data, because the website has a lot of data, combining that data together makes it possible to, in some magical way, in the end, single out an individual who makes it personal data. And the question is, how far do we go? It's yeah. not even a, a, a magical way, right? In their case, what their argument was, if you are logged into the Chrome browser, so yeah. let's assume you use Gmail, YouTube, Google Maps, right? Any of Google's many properties, which is highly likely and you are logged into the website, yeah. at that moment you have a Google Analytics client ID, which to us is just a random number and does not really identify you. Yeah. But you could argue that Google could lay those two data sets over each other and, and figure out who you are on that website because they know your Gmail and that, <laughs> that's the, 
that's the high level argument, which probably makes sense that Google could do that. Yeah, sure. It, it does. It does make sense because you can connect all those data, yeah. all, all the data, and probably identify someone. But there's still a question: if how far do we go in say in which context is it used? And right now, it's just said that if it's possible to identify someone in which way we can imagine, then it's personal data. We got a question. Let's see if this works. Hi, my name is Dimitris. What if I collect the data, personal data, mm -hmm. in order to build an AI, in order to use as personalization, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> as if I use the data to create an AI in order to calculate the next move of my customer? Yeah. We consider that as PAI? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any processing of data for what purpose uh, meant? If, if it's, like I just said, if you can single out a person, so it's identifiable, makes it personal data, and the GDPR applies. But if we just we deploy that, mm -hmm. but we don't identify the customer, but when are the, our customers, like specific from London, do we move? We don't identify, and we said to, customer, to this customer a specific content. Mm -hmm. That is, again, again, again API processing data. I don't think I totally understand your question, but... We have a customers, yeah. specific on London area. We process the data, mm -hmm. and we know that customers from East London going to A, and customers usually from West London going to B, yeah. Z on the side. Yeah. When we identify that the customers from East London, we can, uh, instead of providing two journeys, only to provide only the journey that they yeah. like. Yeah. That is, again... Uh, PII. Okay, now, and now I understand it. Thanks for rephrasing. There is a difference, and uh, I've talked about this before, between PII and personal data, because PII in most cases is personal data, but personal data isn't always PII. Yeah. I'm saying that right? Yeah. I guess so. Which means that some information that is classified as PII, so that people from West London don't necessarily need to be personal data and the GDPR doesn't necessarily apply. But if you have other metrics, so not just uh, West London, but also maybe postal code, uh, house number, uh, stuff like that. So it depends on the granularity. So if the deeper you get, the more probably it will be personal data. And the problem with Google Analytics is that they say, okay, we got people from West London and we're processing that for this purpose right now. But in the back of Google's million database, they also got the postal codes and they also got email addresses and they also got this and this and this and this. And that's the possibility that they can combine all those things together with a Google account makes it possible to identify a person. So I hope that answers your question yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah, that was helpful. Thanks. Okay. So it's the, the compounding of these less sensitive PII pieces of information together that is forming a more identifiable profile. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not the one individual piece. And it's like compounding. the privacy by design principle. Like it's about trying to trying to make sure that something that could happen cannot happen by not, by not having the building blocks for it, basically. So even like in, in Google's case, like we, in Google Analytics, we check the boxes, like don't use the data for advertising, don't use it. But the thing is, Google could, in theory, like if they were nefarious, they could. And that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that, that it's actually technically already happening. It might. We don't know what happens at, at Google's end, but it's about the fact that they could. Yeah, and, and the problem is that 
that's not really a problem. But Google always comes out with statements that uh, we don't do that. Yeah. Uh, we we uh, uh, don't receive requests from a national security agencies. So everything is fine. Yeah. Leave us. But the EDPB, which is like the mother board of all DPAs in Europe, also wrote out in a guideline that statements by companies that they don't do stuff because they have organizational measures, that uh, piece of, of information on its own is not enough to say it's not happening. Yeah. Which I, which I can yeah. understand. I think with the, with the question just asked, differentiating East London and West London users and basically doing website personalization based on whether you're from East or West London. I think if you have enough visitors and they're all from London, then the group becomes large enough that you can't identify a single user. Yeah. So you could have like a user ID East London and a user ID West London and yeah. aggregate right. all users under that. Yeah. But then if you only have two visitors, then it already becomes an issue, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, right. So if it's more aggregated, it's less yeah. sensitive. But the, the, the main issue is that to receive that information, to process the data, yeah. you're already processing the data to know where these people are living, yeah. stuff like that. And then you put it in a box, aggregate it, and then it's just East and West London. Yeah. But the processing used to get there yeah. is already uh, subjected to the GDPR. Yeah. But if, so let's, for example, let's say that you didn't do it by IP lookup, you ask them on this website, they can select, I live in East London, West London, right? They can do that in the form themselves. Yeah. In that case, without an IP address, yeah, without IP okay. address, right? So we're we're, man, we're we're taking that all out. We just we just know that whether they're from East or West London. Yeah. Would you still would you still argue that it's personal data at that moment? For me, it's not because in the context you're collecting it and processing it, it's probably just used to divide those two groups. Yeah. And you can't single out an individual. Yeah. But I I can imagine that the DPA or the European Court of Justice maybe would say that if Google does this and combines all this data with, the rest with, all, the, yeah. with all the rest of the data and someone logging into his account, they would say it's maybe personal yeah. data. Yeah, and I think that's where the, where the struggle lies, like all these technical yeah. what-ifs and the, reason, yeah. like the, the reality of what yeah. is currently. Exactly, and it, it, it's like that second layer on top. So you do the, the base layer, but then you have the compounding identifiers, which together are forming a profile. And then, okay, so now it's East and West London, and I think you had this before on your podcast also, but what if it's just a, a village of one person and another village of one person? It becomes about the number of observations per data point as well. Yeah. Because then it becomes, even though you have a very broad and geographic area, it's now focused in on one point because there isn't enough other observations to obfuscate it. Yeah. I think we are out of time. I want to thank you both for, uh, thank for, you for joining me on the, on the podcast. Yes, thank and, you very much. Uh, have fun at the yeah, event. We'll speak to each other uh, yeah. probably some more. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you all. Bye now. Thank you.